half the Celtics titles were before color TV. So it, it, it's kind of that same argument, just players versus teams. Forget color TV. It was before there were players of color in the league. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that made the NBA 75 list. I'm David Arroyo, joined, as always, my pal Tom Shively. Tom, it has been quite an interesting week in sports. We're going to get into some of the weird things that have happened this week, as we always do. But, Tom, I got to know off top, how you doing today? I mean, NBA 75 is a hell of an accomplishment for us, so I'm feeling good. You know, it's, it, it's nice to get some recognition from the national media. I'm I'm proud, you know the the national media, the the hashtag fake news media is finally recognizing a real podcasting outlet over here. Uh, at there is a lot going on, Tom. Let's get into this NBA 75 list. There was a lot of controversy that came because of this list. Um, it it's obvious the guys who were gonna make this list all along. Obviously, LeBron was always gonna make it. Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson. It's really some of the guys lower down where people have had some beef. Um, Before we get too into guys who are on the list, I'm more curious in your thoughts on the biggest snub from the NBA 75 list. I I think it's interesting because it's always hard to kind of go, you know, how do you judge someone from, you know, the 70s versus someone who's still playing now? And like, you know, kind of obviously it's two different sports really you know it's two different skill sets that are needed now I've always had the take that like athletes have gotten progressively better over time and like the best the best players from this era would beat the best players from the 2000s would beat the best player from the 90s so on so recency bias maybe maybe me being only 24 years old clouds it a little bit but I tend to lean the younger guys honestly he's been in the headlines a lot lately I think the biggest snub is Kyrie Irving I think what he does on a basketball court the way he can he he's as mobile as I've ever seen as a guard. He's he's as quick as I've ever seen as a player. I think he's everything you want in a modern point guard. And the last few years have kind of clouded what he is a little bit, what he was at his peak. And so that would be my one guy that I want on the list, which I know is a little bit of a weird take, like current situation. Well, he wasn't the first guy I've thought of. He's a great basketball player, but to me, undoubtedly, Dwight Howard is the biggest snub off this list. He's a multiple-time Defensive Player of the Year winner. He was the best player on a team that went to the NBA Finals. Like His peak is no question one of the 75 best players of all time, and it seems like he didn't make it because people don't like Dwight Howard. That because of whatever personality issues people have with him, they held that against him and didn't put him on the list. The other big one to me was Clay Thompson. Like Clay Thompson is maybe the second best shooter ever and he's not on this list. That that doesn't make any like to me we they have rated higher people having long-term longevity doing it for a long time like, you know, Ray Allen did or like Reggie Miller did as opposed to guys like Clay Thompson who has done it for a little bit but his peak is better than what they are at their peak. And like a guy like Dwight Howard, to me, his peak is clearly higher than some of these guys in this list. Like, this has always been my issue when we try and evaluate older basketball players. Let's take Bob Cousy, for example. He's considered to be one of the greatest point guards of all time. How is Bob Cousy, a man who shot, if we're being generous and we're rounding up, 38% for his career. He was a sub 40% shooter for his career. 
and he's one of the 75 best players of all time, dude can barely dribble. Like, when you see Bob Cousy dribble, it's the stereotypical, you know, white guy from the 1960s who doesn't really know how to play basketball, just dribbling in circles, and they're like, oh my gosh, look at his handles. And it's like, Kyrie was your example. Like, Kyrie would make this dude look like a... It's not even a competition. It's not even close. So, like, are we evaluating them based on their era or based on their talent? Because there's no question Bob Cousy's not as good as any handful of players who didn't make the list. And he's just a random guy I pulled from the list. I think you answered the question right there. It is based on dominance in your own era. And I and I, I, I think there's arguments to be made each way. I Like I said, I would personally lean better overall. But then, to me, you're full of guys from the 90s and onward, like maybe a handful of guys before. But, you know, we do this list in a, at the NBA 100. I saw, you know, jokes on Twitter of, oh, you know, half the guys on that list are going to be people that haven't even touched the basketball yet. And it's just like the evolution of the NBA. The new guys are just better. It's it's just, it's a different game now. It's a more physical game. And, you know, you could point to, oh, there's better training regimens now. There's, you know, stricter diet. There's, you know, all these kinds of things, you know, more longevity in your career. You can preserve your body better, whatever it may be. But uh, I'm not a koozie backer. I know he's a Celtic, but like it, it's it, a lot of people give Jordan crap for like, oh, he was beaten up on the bad boy Pistons. Like Bill Beer was kind of soft and like all that. And Bob Cousy is the epitome of that era. We had this debate about like Celtics titles versus Lakers titles. You know, half the Celtics titles were before color TV. So it's kind of that same argument, just players versus teams. Forget color TV. It was before there were players of color in the league. So it's like, it's one of those things where like, I don't, I I mean, Bill Russell was on all those teams. So correct. He was like the only player of color. Him and Wilt were the only ones in the entire league. Like it's, it's one of those things where, the, the statement you said where you said in NBA 100, like most of those guys haven't touched the basketball yet. Correct. Because the next group of players is going to be better than this group of players and so on and so forth. Like, I don't understand penalizing guys who came more recently just because they play in a newer era and they're more athletic. And then we look back and, you know, they, they have a guy and I'll just keep using Bob Cousy because he's the example I brought up. And we look at Bob Cousy and go, oh, but look, look what he did in his era okay, yeah, he did that against eight basketball teams. Like, I would hope he would win all those championships given the team that he had at the time. Like, if he didn't do that, we would knock him for it. And so it, I just don't understand the love for these guys who, I mean, full disclosure, like, some of these dudes are dead. Like, they're not going to be upset if they don't make the NBA 75 list. I'm sure they made the NBA 50 list. That's not really the point of the list, though. This, this is a reach. But the, the point of the list is to capture who are the 75 greatest players of all time. And to me, guys like Dwight Howard is one of the 75 best players of all time. Clay Thompson, if he's one of the best shooters of all time, to me, he's no question one of the best players of all time. Um, You have guys like, uh, who's the other guys that oh Tracy McGrady's peak you're telling me Tracy McGrady's not one of the 75 best players of all time the guy who scored 13 points in what nine seconds like come on now Vince Carter is not on this list these are all guys who are legends NBA legends and there are some guys like recently who I wouldn't have put on the list like Anthony Davis to me doesn't have the resume that Dwight Howard has like if we're taking recent guys off the list Dwight Howard at his peak Probably is not better than Anthony Davis at his peak, but Anthony Davis currently does not have the resume to beat Dwight Howard. Maybe when they do the NBA 100, like you mentioned, he probably will have the resume, and then at that point, put him on there. 
but I, he's another one where I just don't understand why he's on this list comparatively. I don't think Damian Lillard should be on this list. I don't think Damian Lillard has accomplished nearly enough to be on this list. And he's another one who I'm pretty sure is on this list. I'm trying to find his name now. There he is. I mean, you know you know who has a ton of hardware, though? Bob Cousy. Yep. Listen. So so it, 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 there's, there's so many back and forths. I think I thought it was interesting that you brought up Tracy McGrady, 13 points in nine seconds. And you slandered Reggie Miller, who did the same thing in the playoffs at MSG. You know, oh, not quite. But hold but on, hold on. I, I did not mean to slander. I think Reggie Miller should be on this list. I'm sorry. That, that... But he was a player you brought up. Correct. When you were talking, like, they favor longevity over maybe a Dwight Howard. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, I think the list is flawed in nature because whenever you're trying to rank guys across so many eras like this, like, basketball has changed so much. Like, Kuzi didn't play with the three-point line. So it's just, it's a different game than what they play today. And it's not like football where football is largely the same game. Like the only differences is they throw the ball more. So it's harder to evaluate receivers from back in the day, but evaluating guys like running backs and stuff like that, it's largely the same where in the NBA, you're trying really hard to evaluate guys who didn't have a three point line to Steph Curry. And it's it's just not a fair comparison. Like it's a flawed exercise in and of itself. I, I just keep thinking about the NBA one hundred. Like it's do you think there's a peak of like basketball can only get so far? Because I, there's an argument that it's always gonna get better. I think baseball is a good example. I would argue that baseball's peak was in the nineteen nineties. Uh the I would argue era. early two thousands, but yeah. So same gist, basically, of yep. like the power hitting and the the Barry Bonds of the world. And yeah, you could argue the steroids, but you know there are a lot of good power hitters then that weren't juiced up. And I feel like baseball has kind of gotten too analytical now where other sports haven't. I think your focus, like you see a lot more strikeouts. You see, yeah, a lot more homers, but just it, it feels like, yeah, it's a different game and maybe it's regressed a little bit, whereas the NBA continues to get better. So is there that point where you know the NBA isn't as good as it used to be? I think we're getting to the point where, and the thing that happened with baseball, right, is analytics, like you mentioned, were such a big part of the game that things that happened in like the 90s don't happen anymore. Like guys can't bunt anymore because they're never asked to bunt. And we have seen that throughout these playoffs that like guys go to bunt and it's like, oh, he doesn't know how to bunt because he never has to do this. They're terrible base runners now. Like they're not good fielders anymore. It's just, it is a different, it's a worse game because of analytics because if like Joey Gallo's on a roster because you know he hits 170, uh, but he's gonna hit 30 home runs and drive in 100 RBI, so that's a valuable thing to have on your team. And the analytics have skewed the game, and I'm hoping that doesn't happen to the NBA. Although there is a chance of that happening because you have had teams now who like the Rockets a couple years ago were the first team in NBA history to shoot more threes than they did twos, and. I have a feeling that could hurt the game a little bit where we hit this ceiling of like, you know, I'm trying to think of like an example of just like, there's not enough differentiating styles is what I'm trying to say in the NBA right now. And that could come around to hurt the NBA because the appeal of the 90s was, you know, you had the Golden State Warriors who were trying to shoot the lights out of a gym with Chris Mullen and Mitch Richmond and those guys. Um, and then you had, you know, the Bulls who loved shooting mid-range jump shots. That was where they lived and died was mid-range jump shots. 
And so you had these differentiating styles where now everyone plays the exact same way. Everyone's going to bomb from three and, you know, hope for the best. Yeah, it's like if you wanted to build a, a, a prototypical NBA player, it would probably look something like Kevin Durant, Giannis hybrid maybe. And it's just like once you get to that kind of, oh, he's 6'10", 6'11", he can shoot threes, he can spread the floor, he can he can do everything on the basketball court. You're just going to have five of those guys out there. And it's just going to kind of be running around and everyone doing the same thing in like positionless basketball, which, yeah, is good to a certain extent, but you feel like there is – a little bit left to be desired in terms of diverse skill sets for sure. I have one more question relating to the NBA 100 thing, but before I get to that, I just want to say, I think that's why guys like Embiid and Jokic are so important for the game because yes, they're big men who are athletic and skilled, but at their core, they're pretty traditional big men. Like Jokic is the best passing big man ever, but he also can post you up and hit you with a post fade. Like Embiid can take you into the post and just back you down and bully you the same way Shaq did. So it's an evolution of what the center is as opposed to just the center going extinct. Because I think a lot of people thought that was going to happen. Like guys like Embiid or Jokic are playable in big playoff minutes. Guys like Rudy Gobert are not. And that's going to be the difference in the game is what happens to the Rudy Gobert's of the world um, come playoff time and stuff like that. Because I think the playoffs is really where you see where the game of basketball is heading. Um, The thing I wanted to ask you We've thrown out NBA 100 a couple times. Who is the current active player, let's say younger guy, maybe under 30, who you think is a lock in 25 years to be on the NBA 100 list? So someone that isn't on the 75 list? Isn't on the 75 list. And think like younger guys. I would even maybe say under 27, like newer guys of the league. I'd give you, is Luke on the 75 he is not. No, no. no. I'd give you Luca would probably be my top choice. Luca Tatum would be my top two. Yeah, Luca was the one that came to mind for me. The one that I think would be the funniest, LaMelo Ball. Something about LeVar getting one of his kids onto the <laughs> NBA 100, he would be insufferable in all the best ways. Trey Young. I think Trey Young's got a great shot, too. Yeah, there's a lot of. The NBA is very exciting. And I think the current crop of great players actually pushes back on my notion of. You know, there there's starting to be only one way to play because John Morant is wildly different from Trey Young and they play the same position. Luca is wildly different from Jason Tatum. They don't play the same position, but they they occupy the same kind of space in terms of like wings and whatnot. You know what I'm trying I mean, to say. Embiid and Jokic are, are wildly different big men. Yeah, and if, if the NBA stays to be like that, where there's a lot of guys who play in different ways, but the teams play the same I think you would still be okay because having a lot of guys who play differently would mean every now and then and specifically in crunch time what guys do well they're going to try and do late in the game and that will make it interesting like when the Lakers won that title a couple years ago it was cool because they won it with two centers they were playing two centers a lot and it was it was different now they were best when Anthony Davis just played center but they were still out there employing different tactics that a lot of other teams uh, weren't weren't using it's like oh you get those warriors teams where no one can beat these guys they're this is the blueprint this is the future of basketball and yeah the raptors got a little fortunate by them being hurt but the lakers looked nothing like that team the the bucks looked nothing like that team so so there's still different ways to win championships and i think i'm glad you brought up the basketball not to like get back to baseball again but you see how different the mlb playoffs are than the regular season 
and you see those teams that you know the Braves were had the worst record out of all of the National League playoff teams out of all the playoff teams, I think. And here they are because of the situational pitching, because they have guys, Freddie Freeman's a great guy who can go the other way. Albies, the same thing. Like they, they know what you have to do in the playoffs to, to get that extra run. Whereas you're just trying to mash it in the regular season. Well, you brought up the world series. So let's hit on that briefly. Since I don't have a lot of thoughts, we don't really want to do a full preview, but you have to help me hash out this on the podcast. I don't know who to root for in the world series because the Braves are a Phillies divisional rival, so I don't want them to win the World Series, but the Astros are dirty cheaters, and I don't really want them to win either, because then it feels like it validates that title that they won when they were cheating, because then it's like, oh, see, they can win it even when they're not cheating, because a lot of the guys are still there. Help me hash this out. I don't know who to root for. What do you What do you look for in a team that you want to support? Well, the number one thing is, do you have any Puerto Ricans on your team? If you have Puerto Ricans on your team, there you go. It's very likely. Well, that's the thing. There's one on both. Eddie Rosario is on the. That's his name, Eddie, right? Eddie Rosario is on the Atlanta Braves. Carlos Correa is Puerto Rican, and he is on the Astros. So we have a bit of a dilemma. I lean Astros because I don't want to see the Braves win. But it, it's just like, this is the worst World Series possible for like someone like me. Or like, I don't even think this is a good World Series for MLB. Um, that's interesting. I think not having the Dodgers in is actually pretty good for baseball. I, I like the fact that somebody besides Los Angeles won. I think Atlanta, the Deep South really is is a starved baseball area. And that's really the only team they have. And so... That for a team that was so dominant in the 90s, well, I say dominant, they won a bunch of NL titles, but only one World Series. But you get that such a huge fan base, and then they're dormant for so long. They haven't been back since 99. I think it's refreshing to have Atlanta. I think MLB probably likes it that Houston's there because you kind of have a villain. I think every series is better with a villain. So I'm rooting for Atlanta personally. I, I think there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, Houston beat the Red Sox this year. I, Houston, you know, the trash can saga never really cared for Altuve. I still believe he had a microphone in his jersey when he was hiding it against the Yankees. Although although it was a walk-off against the Yankees, so like I was willing to let that one slide a little bit. But I like Jock Peterson a lot. I was a fan when the he was pearls. in LA. The Pearls. I love that story. He like still has Anthony Rizzo's bat or something. So it's just these side stories, I just think. I root for Atlanta more, and, and they're the fresher team, too. I think when I don't really have a huge rooting interest... I tend to root for the team that's had less success recently, and I think that's just kind of why I lean Atlanta. No, I mean, I think all your logic makes sense. I'm just, it's much like for you, if the Yankees are in the World Series, you're not going to root for the Yankees. So exactly, I'm not going to root for the Braves. I I don't know how much of the World Series I'm even going to watch, but we're we're pulling for, uh, listen, no matter what, a Puerto Rican's going to get a World Series win. So, you know, let's... I like Dusty Baker. He seems like a cool guy. So I'll, I'll pull for the Astros, I guess. I don't know. I'm not very Snicker, committed. Snicker, the uh, the Braves manager, apparently. Horrible name. But he's managed like 2,500 games in the Braves organization before he got to Major League Baseball. So I think that's a cool story, too. So either way, you kind of have that manager where he, I think he managed like every single team that's in the Braves farm system at some point. I, I someone texted me after I was saying like I was presenting them my World Series conundrum and their exact response to me was I don't know how the Braves are here the Braves are bad and I just thought that was a quite a take given how they've played uh during this playoff run 
that's the beauty of baseball, the, the randomness of it. I think baseball and hockey, much more than, than basketball and football, the, the better team doesn't always win. All right, Tom, let's move on then to some other stories. I think it's going to be a quick episode this week. There's not a whole lot going on, but like there are some stories that are definitely in our wheelhouse. Let's hit this one that I need to know what you would have done. So Tom Brady throws the 600th touchdown pass this weekend. Mike Evans catches it. Mike Evans has not a clue this is Brady's 600th touchdown pass. He takes the ball, runs over to the stands, hands it to a fan. That fan then realizing he has a 600 ball, the Bucks come over. They talk to him. They're like, you know, we'll give you some stuff for it. And he returns the ball to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, it came out later that he is going to be receiving two signed jerseys and a helmet from Brady, a signed Mike Evans jersey and his game cleats, a $1,000 credit at the Bucks team store, which, okay, and two season passes for the remainder of this season and next season. Tom, tell me why this man is a moron for giving up the football. I don't think he's a moron for giving up the football. Oh, come I think on. that's a good haul. Go ahead. I think that's a good haul. I, I don't. First of all, you can't tisk tisk get $1,000 for the Bucks team store when they're a successful team and neither of our teams are right now. So I will tisk tisk it all I a want. A store you would actually want to buy something from. We don't know anything about the guy, let's be honest, right? At, at least I don't. So... Maybe the memorabilia is valuable to him. It's it's really not my thing. I I don't feel like I am the rightful owner of the ball, though, if it's me that gets handed the ball. So I, I kind of look at anything that I have as a bonus. So I, I I think the two Tom Brady jerseys are cool. I'd probably keep one and flip one. I'd flip everything Mike Evans related. I don't really want anything from his around my house. I'd, the Bucks team store stuff, you could probably get some cool stuff and then the two season tickets is the kicker. Like that's, that's a solid. What, like, what are you expecting? Lifetime season tickets? Like, what? Are you, what's your What's your starting price if you're guy with ball? Well, according to the the people who have estimated this, the auctioneers, apparently the starting price is at minimum five hundred thousand dollars. One auctioneer said that the ball could quote easily go for nine hundred thousand dollars. This man just gave up almost a million dollars for collectively what i could guess all the stuff he got probably worth you know a couple thousand dollars you know i don't know how many thousands but a couple thousand dollars so it's not a fair trade yes you said what i what's the first thing i want yes tickets for life i want tickets every single year for as long as i'm alive and as long as i'm a bucks fan i want to be right here front row in the end zone exactly where i was handed the ball for the rest of my life we're starting there we're not starting anywhere else then we can get into everything else then we can get into all the signed jerseys all the signed footballs all that stuff because i am holding a million dollars in my hand potentially and this man handed it over for two signed jerseys a signed helmet Oh, sorry, three signed jerseys, a signed helmet, cleats, $1,000, and two seasons of season tickets. Not worth it. He did not get enough for this. He's a terrible negotiator, too, if he negotiated this. I you're, I don't think he's prepared enough. I don't think... I, I think when they asked for the ball, he was a little too eager to get rid of it. That's you gotta actually put yourself not... In that, you gotta on, put yourself in the situation. Oh, go for it. Okay. He said post-game that he was hesitant to give up the ball, so I just wanted to correct the record. But there. he did give it up by the time he said that. True, true. It was out of his so you possession. Have, so you have like an hour to formulate all these thoughts in probably bad service stadium in the front row. You know, you can't... I, I know you don't have the value of a 600th top-rated touchdown pass off the top of your head. 
you're not Darren Ravel, so I know you don't have it. And, you know, I think you, you probably think it's a pretty good deal at the time. And, you know, if, if Tom Brady came up to me and said, you know, Mr. Shively, I want that ball, I would go, here you go, Tom. Thank you for all you've done for the New England Patriots. So maybe I'm a little biased. Maybe I just, I, I have too much success with my football teams already that I don't need more financial success from football. If Tom Brady comes up to me and says, I would like that ball, I'd be like, that's very nice. Do you have $500,000? Because if you do, you can have this ball. It's it's that simple for me. Like I'm, I, I think I would have the wherewithal and the understanding of the moment to know not to hand that ball over. I don't know why I think that because people give up like, like for example, people give up like baseballs all, all the time. Like the guy who gave up uh, Barry Bonds' home run. Oh no, that guy kept that. That guy was smart. Yeah, so like I'm pretty sure the guy who caught Barry Bonds' record-breaking home run kept it and auctioned it off and like got a ton of money for it. But it's one of those things like, how bad does the NFL want this ball? What is the dollar sign you're willing to cut a check for that will make me give up this ball? And... I just don't think the guy got enough for it. LeBron James, uh, somewhere down the road, breaks Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. You're in attendance. You're in the second row. The ball just lands on you, and you just – are you sitting on it asking for money? Basketball's a little different. Yeah, Basketball's say, a little different. Basketball's a little different because I actually think the rule is you have to return the ball. Um, you're not allowed to just like hold on to a ball that goes into the crowd, and someone will come get it. And – like it's going to be taken from me whether or not I like it or not. This is a scenario the moment the ball is exchanged from Mike Evans' hands to Mr. Kennedy's hand, Byron Kennedy to be exact is what his name is. Oh, he's a Kennedy. He's loaded already. It's fine. <laughs> the moment that ball is handed off from Mike Evans to Mr. Kennedy, that ball is now Mr. Kennedy's and he should have done with it what he felt was the correct thing. He clearly felt this was the right thing to do. That's fine. I totally understand that. I'm just saying I'm not that morally upstanding that I am handing this football back over. There is no shot. Maybe that's a morals problem on my part, but I'm okay with that being the case. There's there's a Kennedy joke to make in there that two years of tickets is probably a lifetime supply, but I won't make it. No, that was, that was well... You said you're not going to make it and then immediately made it, which was perfect that was a good joke i really did enjoy that tom let's move on i wrote this down in my notes just as a statement i'm going to say it as a statement of fact and i would like you to react to the statement jamar chase is the best wide receiver in football through seven games you're willing to say that i am yes you would take jamar chase over anyone else in the league right now correct um this dude just cooked marlon humphrey for 200 yards what is Marlon Humphrey is considered maybe the best corner in the game. I think his nickname is Lockdown. 201 yards for Jamar Chase this past weekend, including a play where he ran a slant, caught it in between three dudes, spun, and then was gone. It, it's nuts. Like, I was going to come on and say he's the best big play receiver in the NFL. No, he is the best wide receiver in football. The most unstoppable receiver right now is Jamar Chase. It is nuts how good this guy is. That's an interesting one. I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably still take Devontae Adams. I would definitely take a healthy Tyreek Hill over Jamar Chase. That might be it. Cooper Cup. I, he's currently leading the league in receiving yards. I, I think Cooper Cup is. Uh, he's got a lot of Edelman in him. I think he's kind of a system receiver. I think uh, Thielen is an interesting one. Maybe I would take him over Chase. I don't. Know, he, Thielen probably is the best receiver on his own team, though. Now that I think about it. 
Um, so he's top 10, I think, right now for sure. I, I'd, I'd maybe go top five, but I don't know if I'm willing to take. Adams is the guy that jumps in my head immediately is, is this is the best receiver in football. And yeah, he's got Aaron Rodgers thrown to him, so maybe that's not a fair comparison. But longevity, consistency, I'll, I'll take Adams in all those scenarios. But Jamar Chase is... I mean, rookie right now, they're, you know, every single tweet is Jamar Chase, XXX, Randy Moss, XXX. It's just, that's that's his level. Yeah, the, what's so funny to me about Jamar Chase is, well, first of all, you and I had the whole conversation about Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase. I, even up until like two, three weeks ago, was still like, they still probably should have taken an offensive lineman. The thing is, looking back, Penny Sewell was not the right offensive lineman. Rashawn Slater would have been the right offensive lineman because he's been the better pro. But Jamar Chase is better than both of them. Jamar Chase, I mean, I just said it. I think he's the best receiver in football. And he's 21, I think. It's absurd. We have never seen a guy walk into the league and do this. Like, we people, people thought Justin Jefferson last year played really well. And I don't know if I said this on the podcast. I definitely said this to you off air that people love Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase is going to be better than Justin Jefferson. And not only was he immediately better than Justin Jefferson was, he is clearly better than almost every receiver in the league. Like there aren't many guys you would take above Jamar Chase, even if you don't think he's the best receiver in the league. He has game breaking ability on every time he catches the ball. He can go up and get it because he has an absurd vertical. I, We've, we haven't seen a guy like this in a while. It's interesting, too, when, when two months ago it was, oh, can he even see the ball? Can he even catch? Like, it's – he was so – there were so many red flags apparently coming in, and now he's just like, yeah, I'm really good, and I've always been really good, and I was really good at LSU, and shocker, I'm still really good. Well, it's it's funny, right? Because everyone made such a big deal about that, where he, including me, I think, where he said, like, you know, I'm not used to not seeing the white stripes, and so I'm still adjusting to it. And the take I had at the time was, well, you didn't play last year, so you've had a year and a half to adjust to catching an NFL football. And I, he must be one of those guys when, when the lights are on, regular season, he's not going to drop the football. I don't know how many drops he has, but it's just not... It doesn't matter if he has drops at this point because he has game-breaking speed. He he's just absurdly good. The most the most fascinating part of Chase to me is him playing with Burrow, and you really don't get a. I can't think of any other like two top ten quarterback receiver duo from college that have gone to the NFL because you have to say that plays some sort of role in him knowing Burrow, Burrow knowing him. There's that chemistry already built when you get into a season that, A, especially for a rookie receiver, I know how Joe Burrow throws. I know where Joe Burrow is going to put the ball. I know his strengths. I know his weaknesses, vice versa. I I think that plays a little bit into Chase's success as well, and it really benefits both of them to kind of have that chemistry already built. And I think teams maybe have to start looking at that in the draft. I take your point and counter you with Tua and Jalen Waddell. Tua had been hurt for what, five of the six games? Yeah, but even when they're, when they're out there together, they don't really have much of a connection. Actually, why we're on the top? Jalen Wa- Jalen Waddle was also, I guess that doesn't really count because he, like Tua was in the NFL last year. I was gonna say Waddle was hurt for half of last season, but Tua was gone by that point. Why we're on the topic? I'm curious what your thoughts on are on guys like Tua and Jalen Hurts. Do you think these are guys that are? I mean, obviously, me with Jalen Hurts, you heard me say I would not build my team around Jalen Hurts, but do you think 
fan bases are rushing guys out of the door too quickly, trying to get, you know, the Justin Herberts, the Patrick Mahomes, those kind of guys where like there's only a handful of those in the league. I, I think I think Jalen Hurts was probably rushed. I think Tua with where you took him in Miami, you almost kind of have to. So he's a little bit of a forced hand. I, you're not going to find the Herberts really unless you play them early so you can screen them in that way. So excuse me. I've always been a defender of playing a quarterback young, and I think you kind of lean – let them rest a little bit more. Not rest, but like let them learn the system a little bit better. You know, kind of like maybe the 49ers Trey Lance system more so than the, the Bears Justin Fields system, I think is kind of where we differ a little bit. And it's not been pretty for Fields. It, it hasn't. And you wonder like how much damage that takes on his confidence. So I think, yeah, the Eagles probably rushed it with Hurts. But it was just kind of a best option available at the time. Miami, I'm still kind of out on two. He's been unhealthy, so it, it, it's it's tough to say. Yeah, it's the right movie build around that guy. I, I don't mean rushed it as in rushed them to play. I mean rushed it as in we're expecting results from these guys immediately. Like people, I feel like are killing Justin Fields. He just threw three interceptions this past weekend, and it's one of those things. Like when you look back, Peyton Manning threw more interceptions and touchdowns his first year, and Peyton Manning is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And it's one of those things where the the clock has been sped up and accelerated because of Patrick Mahomes, because, you know, he sat back there for a year and came out and balled or because like for Tua specifically, if Justin Herbert wasn't this good, his clock would not be accelerated in this way, because I feel like this year you're not hearing a lot of guys like really kill Justin Fields because really none of the rookie quarterbacks have been very good. J- Mac Jones has been the best of the rookie quarterbacks, probably. And even he hasn't been like lighting it up. He's been, he, I thought, I think he's been fine. And it's just one of those things where maybe we just need to adjust expectations. Like not every guy is going to come into the league and tear it up. Like maybe you need to give them until the end of their rookie contract to figure it out. But then if you don't figure it out, you're in this position where, you know, you're going to be picking the lottery again and it might be a new GM, new coach, all that stuff, because the shelf life in the NFL is very brief. I mean, I think you look at, Let's go last 10 years, like rookie quarterbacks who have really come in and lit it up in the first year. And the list is maybe five or six. I mean, like Russell Wilson, I would put up there. Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton probably I'd put in there. I wouldn't even put Lamar Jackson. I thought he was okay his first year. He was a bad thrower of the football his first year, though. I mean, didn't he take them to the playoffs from not being a playoff team? He did. I think, I guess Jackson, like less so than definitely Russell Wilson. I think Herbert is a good example of lighting it up despite the team not being very good. But I mean, that's, that's five guys. Well, let, let's throw, let me throw two more names out there because this is just an example of how things can go poorly if you think you have the guy like quickly and then you start sal- like hemorrhaging your future. Robert Griffin III, incredible his first year. And then hurts his knee. He's never the same player. Or if you're the Colts, your entire team was built around Andrew Luck being healthy. Andrew Luck was going to be healthy, gets hurt, retires. There goes your season that year because now you don't have your quarterback. And it's like those are examples of guys who were great immediately. And it just never worked out for you know reasons X, Y, and Z. And I think teams need to be careful about, about moving on too quickly. It, like I don't think the Dolphins moved on too quickly from Tannehill, but Tannehill is clearly a good quarterback, and they just weren't getting the most out of him. And goes to Tennessee, he takes him to an AFC Championship game. 
So like it's it's this really fine line between having an evaluation early so you can make smart picks, especially if you're a lottery team, versus you know, if you have those lottery picks, just continually using them for a quarterback. Like like I know the Cardinals are very happy with what they did, but it's again, it's a very fine line to me. And I think it, it, it depends so much on what you have around the quarterback as well. Like Ryan Tannehill didn't have a Derrick Henry in Miami and Russell Wilson, you know, had had Marshawn Lynch to lean on when 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 he was struggling in the past game was struggling. So it, it is so much built on the team aspect of it that I think we, we are quick to blame quarterbacks too much or too early, I should say. You know, sometimes yeah, quarterback has a really bad game and it you know, if if a player is gonna cost a team a game, it's probably gonna be the quarterback, but being aware that it's more about the whole team construction. Tom, we've kind of already hit on all the things I had written down. I have one more thing I want to hit on before uh, we get toward the end here, but was there anything around the world of sports this week that uh, jumped out to you that you you were just like, we got to hit this on the pod? Kansas football. I have to get your take oh, on I love the, this. Uh, I have to get your take on, did you see the Oklahoma game? Did you watch I any did. of it? Uh, well, I, 17... didn't, I didn't watch all of it. I, I caught glimpses. I was working on Saturday. The highlight of the weekend, this isn't really... I think we're going to have a similar take, but the the mass text they sent out to university students basically saying the gates are open in the third quarter. Come watch the end of the game. Come into the stadium. No ticket required. Get in here. That's that. That's as college sports as it gets. And I think you kind of have this... This underdog that, yeah, you know, in a, in a Hollywood script, they end up beating Oklahoma, but kind of getting all those people to come in. And I, I don't even think they came close to filling the stadium even when they invited people in, even when they're beating up on the number four team in the country. And it's just like, I've, I've never seen that before. I don't know if I'll ever see it again. It was just one of those, like, perfect storm instances for Kansas. And they got jobbed in that game, too. Well, I, I so I didn't know this happened. And that's incredible. That's, like, fantastic. I'm trying to think... What I pose this question so genuinely, I know you're gonna laugh, but I'm so serious. What is there better to do in Kansas other than go to a football game? Genuine question. I mean, basketball's not in season, so nothing. <laughs> like, what? What are you doing? Staring at cornfields? Like, I like. Oh man, do you do you see that one? Let's watch it grow. Let's see which one grows quicker. Like, like, what are you doing? That is so much better than going to a football game. Now, mind you, maybe watching paint dry is better than watching Kansas football. But I'm just saying, I think I'd rather watch Kansas football and suffer through it. I think they showed Allen Fieldhouse six or seven times in that broadcast and, and I saw I saw the AP top ten basketball graphic at least three times. Well the 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 thing too with like with maybe this is just how I see it. When Penn State was bad, I often was going for whatever team Penn State was playing. So it's not like I'm not going there to watch Penn State football when they're bad or Penn State basketball when they're bad. I'm going there to watch whatever great team is coming to town. The number four team now, they were three at the time, number three team in the country is coming to town. That's a prime opportunity to watch legitimately good football instead of what you normally get, which is Kansas football, the epitome of bad football. It's them and UConn are the epitome of bad football over the last couple of years. Oh, no, Kansas is decades better than UConn. I said last couple of years. Uh, this last is couple true. of years. Fair enough. Fair enough. Kansas over the last like 10 years has been horrible. I saw something the other day that said like it's a miracle that this ever happened. And it was that one coach who had like a winning season there at Kansas. They were like 10 and 2, weren't they, a couple years ago? Like They went to the uh, they went to the Orange Bowl like late 
2000s, like 2007, 2008, maybe. And it's crazy that that has happened. And since then, they have just been the worst college football program imaginable. And if you're a Kansas, if you are a Kansas student, again, what are you doing that is better than watching Caleb Williams play football? Like that is wildly more entertaining than whatever it was you were doing. And the Kansas football team was up for most of the game. I got to give Caleb Williams credit, though. Did you see the uh, the play where he took the ball out of his running back's hand I did. and ran for the first down? That was probably the smartest play I've ever seen on a football field. So that was – it felt illegal, but I can't place why it would have been illegal. So kudos to Caleb Williams. I saw someone tweet. They were just like – it was basically what you just did, but they were like, illegal forward pass? Question mark? And it was like – it was like it feels like this isn't legal, but it's most certainly legal. And – I won't lie, I kind of want Oklahoma to be good now because we basically win no matter what if Oklahoma's good because I'm going to bring him up again, but Caleb caped pretty hard for Spencer Rattler on this podcast and said he would be part of the reason why Oklahoma wins the national championship. So now if Oklahoma wins the national championship and Caleb Williams is the quarterback, it doesn't matter that he said Oklahoma was going to win because Caleb Williams is the one that won it for him. So we just get to slander him. And I know he listens to the podcast, so, you know, he gets to hear some of this slander too. I had Oklahoma too in the playoffs. So, yeah, I'm with you. We're good. doesn't matter who's quarterbacking them. Cincinnati pick is looking pretty solid, just saying. Why we're on the topic, Tom, you said – I think you just mentioned gambling there. If you didn't, I'm just going to segue then to gambling. I talk about it all the time. Tom, I have had – an excellent week gambling. I, I just wanted to bring that to the podcast. I have hit on three separate same game parlays, all risk free in the last week and a half. I have never been this hot gambling before. And I'm just, I'm just curious. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Like, do I just keep only betting the risk free parlays? Do I like dip my toe in some other things? I also hit on Oklahoma state this weekend, but that's just my usual, like $5 bets. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. How do you, like, what goes into the risk-free parlays? How do you make your picks? Uh, this is a wonderful question. So I had spent most of the week thinking about what game I was going to bet on. And in an email I got this week, I had seen somebody was on the under 50 and a half in Rams-Lions. And I was like, oh, okay, I actually really like that. Let me see if I can get some other things out of this game to turn this into the risk-free parlay. And I was looking, and so I did still did slight research, but... The over-under that I, I picked for Matthew Stafford was over 249.5 yards because he had hit 270 in every game that year. So I had felt good about him hitting those yardage, and Cooper Cup has been the most like consistently good receiver this year in terms of scoring touchdowns and whatnot. And so I took him as an anytime touchdown scorer. I It just felt like a no-brainer to me that the Ram, the Lions probably weren't going to score enough points to hit that over. The Rams might have, and they could have done me in, but they played a bad game to start, and it all worked out in the end for me. I think it's, yeah, so you kind of pick one that you like, and then I try go, and go a little kind obscure. of piece together the rest of it. I try and go a little obscure on the game, too. I don't try and go for, like, the big matchup of the week because I feel like Vegas has a closer eye on those and does a better job of setting the lines for those. Whereas, like, I did Jaguars-Dolphins when I hit the other risk-free parlay last weekend. It's because no one is betting on that game except for me. No one else is thinking, let me go bet I, on I had the money on that game. I had the under, James Robinson to score a touchdown, and his over 69 and a half yards. It just felt like 
you know, you find one thing you like. Basically, what I've been looking for recently is I'm looking for unders I like. Because generally, I feel like the number is set too high for the bad teams. So, like, the Lions are terrible. They should never have a number that is above, like, 50 in any of their games. So the moment I saw that, I'm like, well, they think the Rams are just going to go crazy. But also, they need some help from the Lions for this over to hit. So, you know, basically what you said. I start finding one thing I like. It's usually an under, and then we go from there. Lions-Eagles, free money on the under next week? But what's the over-under right now? I don't know. I just saw the matchup. I haven't actually pulled it up. There is a strong possibility, yes, that there is free money on the under next week. But my other rule is I'm, I'm no longer betting on the teams I root for because then it like I'm too clouded. So it's like I used to always do those parlays for on the Sixers and I would always take Embiid over like two threes. And I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Like he, he's going to hit it once every couple of times. I almost hit on a parlay on the Sixers one time and I picked Simmons to be the first one to score a basket. But Embiid got hurt that game and that's why I lost that parlay. I've been pretty cold. I had like a two and two college football day on Saturday, which felt Yikes. like a win for me. So. Two and two, not bad. Come on, it's not a yikes. I went one and five like three weeks ago, which brutal. I had Texas money line, which was one of the worst beats I've ever had. It's up there with Oregon money line when they blew a huge lead against Stanford a few years ago, but not my week. Just not my week. Now, the, the one bet I think you and I both agreed, I sent it to you. I think one of the best bets people can make right now if they're into futures Milwaukee plus 800 to win the NBA championship, I think is a really great bet because no one, to me, there's not a strong team in my head that can easily knock them off come playoff time unless Kyrie comes back and then that would probably change that equation. But they're the team to me, if you're betting NBA futures that I, uh, I was feeling good about that one. I think we both hopped on. I think the best value was the Nuggets. Easily. Plus 2,500 is what I got of that. I think I got it at the same number, actually. I put $5 to win, like, 110 or 115 something like that. So, we'll yeah, see. I'm with you. All right, Tom, I think that brings us to the end of a, a kind of all-over-the-place edition of There's a Lot Going On. It's kind of, I mean, that's how we like it, so I hope that's how the people like it. Tom, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, Penn State football. We got to we gotta oh. unpack that a little bit. Um, let's, let's, yeah, let's, we won't throw I'm, the outro out there yet. Let's, let's hit I'm, it. I'm, I'm tired of any take that blames the defense in this loss. I think, yeah, they gave up 330 yards on the ground. And yeah, you probably should have adjusted. But you can't have an offense that has five chances in overtime to hit a two-point conversion and can't make it happen. And have any sort of blame on the defense. I think it falls on James Franklin for not having a quarterback ready to go that wasn't named Sean Clifford. I think he clearly wasn't himself out there. And I think I've shouted out Ben Jones before for having that take in the preseason where he's like, yeah, backup quarterback is going to be a concern for Penn State this year. He brought it up and here we are. And he looks like the smartest man in the world. And Penn State is going to have a bear of a schedule the rest of the time. So this is as bad of a loss as I remember in my time rooting for Penn State. Yeah, but the thing is, I said this to you before we came on the podcast, Penn State is notorious for this. They did it a couple years ago where they lost to Ohio State. They go to Michigan State. They have the lightning delay, which I'm sure contributed. Number 24 Michigan State on the road. Yeah, but a team they were better than. And that's what I'm getting at here is they will they always do this. They lose a close game against a team who's maybe better than them. Like that Ohio State team was probably better than them. Iowa, probably not, but your quarterback got hurt. 
and then you come out a week or two later and all you got to do is win to keep a playoff hope alive, to keep a Big Ten championship hope alive. And now all that right down the toilet. I'll throw this out there just because I'm thinking of it because I'm thinking about toilets. The Penn State roar in the stadium is just a toilet flushing in reverse. And that is the most apt thing possible for how Penn State played this past weekend. They should have flipped it for this game and just had a regular toilet flush. It would have been more appropriate for how they were playing. Um. All right, let's play a little hypothetical, though. Like, Penn State wins out. Thoughts. Wins the Big I, Ten. What, what do you it's mean? Not, what, it's not thoughts on what? Is there a way a two-loss team can make the playoff? No. Okay. Especially, especially now if the Cincinnati Bearcats... If the Cincinnati Bearcats don't lose, they should be in the playoff. So... Yeah, no, there's no, I don't think there's a scenario now where Penn State gets in the playoff, but I will say they were, I think it was both of our preseason pick to win the national championship. Ohio State looks. Oh, you had the Buckeyes? Oh. I had the Buckeyes preseason, and Ohio State is clicking into gear these last couple of weeks. This offense struggled at first to really find, find their footing. CJ Shroud looks incredible. Their run game looks really good. And I mean, their defense is still a bit of a concern because their secondary is kind of weak. But I don't know, man. That Ohio State's rounding into form at the right time. They remind me a lot of the. 2014 Ohio State team that ended up winning the championship. I I don't think they have the quarterback depth this year to have, like, I don't think a third-string quarterback can go win a championship like Cardell Jones did. But I think they had better talent overall in 2014, but I think C.J. Stroud, him versus those three quarterbacks, is the best of the four. So they had a bad, lo- they had a bad non-conference loss at home early. I mean, like, 14 lost to Tech. Virginia Tech, that Oregon's much better than Virginia Tech was that year, but you get the point. They figured out they go undefeated in conference. There's going to be a game that they struggle in. There's going to be a close game. I feel like they had it against Minnesota. They had it against Oregon. It's can they win that one, and if they do, they'll be fine. My bet would be it's actually the Michigan game at the end of the season. I think that's their best chance to lose. And if they win that one, I think they're going to be fine going to the playoff, and I think they are very uncomfortable of a matchup for Georgia if that's the team they get. I actually, I think the most likely team to beat them is Michigan State, just because of the offensive firepower Michigan State has. I think if Ohio State goes up two touchdowns on Michigan, Michigan's done. They they don't have the the big play guys that can just, you know, rip one for a big play where, you know, Kenneth Walker, big play guy, who's the receiver there who had like 200 yards the same week Kenneth Walker ran for 200, forget his name, but He's another one. Like Michigan State has big play guys. I'm not picking them because I think they're at a talent disadvantage. But yeah, I, I think if anyone's going to beat them, it's going to be. I think it's going to be Michigan State. I actually think Penn State's going to get mollywopped next week. Oh, 18 and a half is free money. Yeah. Oh, is that the is that the number? It was 17 and a half when it opened, and probably four seconds later, it was 18 and a half. Um, I should have hopped on 17 and a half. <laughs> Here's the thing with Michigan State. Outside of that one year they won in Columbus, like I feel like Ohio State's trip up is always on the road in conference. I just feel like they're so solid at home that I, I see it more with Michigan, but they just they know how to beat Michigan. And Michigan State's given them a lot more trouble historically, so maybe I'm overthinking. I mean, this is the best Michigan's been in a while, but I'm until it really I see isn't it. though. It really isn't. 
I think it is. They have more of an identity, I feel like. they. It's clearer what this team is good at, and they really lean into that. Whereas I feel like they were trying so hard to run like a very specific offense with the quarterbacks it just didn't work with. Where now they're like, all right, let's just, we're going to run the ball. We're going to try and get after you with our front front four. And, you know, we'll see what happens. And they have a good front four that is helpful to all of this. But no, I mean, until I see Michigan and John Harbaugh or John Harbaugh, right? Jim, Jim. Harbaugh, what? Jim. I, I never remember anymore. I was I used to be president of the Jim Harbaugh fan club at Penn State. And here I am just can't even remember his name anymore. That's right. I forgot about that. Jim Jim Harbaugh until I see him grace if I see him once I see him beat Ohio State I'll believe he can do it until then I'm just not going to believe it I think I tweeted Jim Harbaugh is the best coach in the Big Ten at some point in the fall of 2016 and and Michigan football has been in the spiral ever since I had the very strong take that he was like a top five coach in football and I think I agreed with you like probably the best coach in the Big Ten and wow ever since that time I mean I was over here parading for this man for years until finally they had that really bad 2019 season or no 2018 season our senior year 19 18 they were really good oh so it was 19 yeah and that was the year I was just like I can't I can't do this anymore I'm I'm parading for a man who does not care about me at all what am I doing I reevaluated my entire life and I decided to just slander all college football coaches from that point forward uh Georgia Alabama Ohio State who you taking right now of the three probably georgia but it's it's close alabama hasn't looked good recently like they've they've looked fine but i think both those teams could beat alabama right now yeah i think georgia probably 1a ohio state 1b right now all right time that officially brings us i think to the end of this episode of there's a lot going on happy we got to hash out some penn state demons there at the end do you have any final final thoughts i guess it would be um i do i gotta give some love to the chicago sky uh, we didn't hit them last week. We recorded before. Uh, we recorded before Game Four since we went early on Sunday. Candace Parker was balling, first championship for the Sky. So bringing one home for Candace Parker in her hometown. It was really cool to see them come together out of the sixth seed and and really start the season poorly and and, and figure it out. So a lot of love for them. Another great WNBA playoffs. What else is new? Shout out to Candace Parker. Shout out to the point guard of all point guards, Courtney Vandersloot. She's a point guard's point guard. And like you said, shout out to the WNBA and the entire WNBA playoffs. They were fantastic this year. I mean, if you don't know, now you know. That's Tom Shively. I'm David Arroyo. Catch you back here next week for another edition. There's a lot going on.